Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here with you. Thanks so much, Scott, for that stirring introduction. And um, one of these days when I grow up, I want to be like Scott. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. A Clemson guy lives in Columbia now. I feel like I'm on the mission field. Um, are there any other fellow Tigers in here? I know the last six years have been tough, but last year we turned a corner. So hopefully we can see something happen in the future. I'm excited to be with you here. I told you a little bit about my family about a year ago. And, uh, and so I won't go into that again today, but I have a little three-year-old in my house. His name's quarter and, um, and three-year-olds by the way, are for 20 somethings, not 40 somethings. Um, it's all I can do to, to, to run after him and keep up with him. So on Fridays is daddy day. Mom's working. She's a literacy coach over at Oak Grove Elementary School. And so I hang out with Quarter during the day. And, uh, and so about two hours into this play gig that he's just going from thing to thing to thing, I, I have to slow it down a little bit. And, uh, and so this past week, I, I turned on a movie. Now, there's just something about movies that move us, right? I mean, it, we, when we go and we see and we listen to this story, there's something about epic stories that always seem to get us get us going. Now, some of those movies may stir us. Some of them might just make us laugh. Um, but, but those kind of stories that really move us are the ones that, that, uh, that we keep going back to over and over and over again. We call them the classics. Now, the greatest movie of all time is Star Wars. If you've never seen the movie, it's an unbelievable epic story. And, and one of the cool things about that is I sat down my, my three-year-old, and he made it through at least an hour of the movie before he started wanting to play again. In the story, there's a little boy that looks like my little, my little boy, Quarter. He's got a little blonde hair, and, and you, he's kind of an unassuming character, and you wouldn't think very much of him from the very beginnings of the story in episode one. You know, it's kind of like uh, this, this little guy, he was just living just a kind of an ordinary life. He was a slave and, and, uh, and he was until two Jedi show up and, uh, and they let him know that his life actually is a part of a huge epic story. Now, in the midst of that, you start to see the episodes unfold later on. And then that, that little guy becomes Darth Vader, who's one of the greatest villains of all time. But then Darth Vader actually turns good there towards the end. If I spoiled it for you, I'm sorry. But you've got to watch five or six movies to get to that point. So don't worry about it. But at the end there, he, he, he kind of turns good and brings balance to the force and all that. And the whole thing there is that he, this is a little guy that had he not been brought into the story, he would have continued to be a slave. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. You know, the story of Star Wars is one thing. But, you know, the ones that really move me are the ones based on a true story. Like you just saw the advertisement for Black Hawk Down. And that, that true story uh, element of the movie really grips us because we're like, wait, that, that really happened. And these events really unfolded. Well, here's the reality. You've been going through a series here. Uh, and, and during this series, you've seen uh, a lot of talk about salvation, baptism, what we want to focus today on is you coming into this story. Like, what would it be like if, if all of a sudden today you realized that you were part of this grand epic story that you've been actually thrust into and you didn't even realize the kind of player you were in this story? I know some of you think, you know, I... You know, I, I do th th this business or I'm in charge of this company or, or maybe I'm, I'm just a teacher or maybe I'm just a, uh, a garbage truck driver or maybe I'm, I, I'm just a youth minister or whatever that might be. You don't even realize that you are playing this major part of a story and, and maybe today you'll, you'll figure that out. That you've been cast into this story. That actually you've got a role in the middle of it. 
And maybe today, just today, you start to get into the game when, when you didn't even realize you could get into the game. Many of you will go to the South Carolina Gamecocks and watch them play in a few weeks. And, and, uh, and you'll sit up in the stands in, in, a, in a crowd of 80,000 screaming their heads off. And, and, and some of you don't even realize that you could get into the game. Not just a spectator, but actually in the middle of the game. And so today we're going to look at what that looks like for you. We're going to look at what that looks like as you move into this process of becoming more like Jesus, which is one of your three core values here in your mission statement at Northside, that you would become like him. What does it look like to actually be like Jesus? Like what, what's one of the primary things that he did? We're going to look at that today. So let's pray. Father, I just ask that you show up and shake us up a little bit this morning. And Father, I just pray that that as we look into your word today, that we might be challenged. And also, Father, that you might bring individuals into this epic story that you've been writing from the beginning of time. That we might be able to move into more of a lead role in what that looks like in our own personal lives. And, Father, that, that maybe, just maybe, you're, you're actually calling us to do some tremendous world-changing story. And Father, we're not just supposed to be just living this ordinary life, but Father, you've made it extraordinary. If we would just step out in faith and actually take hold of it and take that part, Father, that you might actually multiply this whole kingdom that you're building in a magnificent way and that you would use us. So, Father, just shake us up here a bit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the first things that... uh, that Jesus says when he's about to leave as he gives that little final cry is what we call the great commission. And that is that we would go out and we would make disciples. So here's my question to you. Number one, who in the past year have you had the privilege to talk to about Jesus, share the gospel with, and see them start this journey and be baptized and come into the fellowship of faith? You can just write that name down. You've got your little God there in front of you. Just write that name down. Just think about the last year, somebody that you've shared your faith with, you've talked to about Jesus, and then because you've talked to them about Jesus, they've confessed Christ as Lord, and then they connected maybe here or somewhere else, and they were baptized. Write that name down there at the top of your sheet. Now, I'll tell you that if you're like 97% of the church, It's really difficult for you to think of a name. Now, some of you might be able to think of a name that you've brought here to this church. And then because they came, they heard Rocky or maybe your youth pastor, David, talk about Jesus. And then they came to know Christ. And that's great that you were a part of that. But it's very difficult many times for, for the church to actually start getting into this story of making disciples themselves. That, that in actuality, they actually talk to somebody about Jesus and then they come to know Christ. And a lot of times we ask why, like, why does that not happen? And so today what I'd like to do is look at a passage in scripture that might, that might challenge us on a, on a process to do that. Uh, maybe a, a frame of reference on how Jesus did this and, and maybe would help us as we, as we look into our own personal lives on how we can get in the game on this. Because I could come in here today and I could make you feel guilty about, you know, not ever talking to somebody about Jesus. And I don't know, you might go and try to find somebody if you're really guilty about it. And uh, it might try to get one person. But be honest with you, that doesn't sustain. So there's no reason for me to do that. 
I want to I encourage you today that you can do this. You can get in the game. You can be one of the major players in the midst of this whole story that Jesus is building. So turn to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at this passage together, pulling out a few principles as we look at it. Luke chapter 10, the gospel of Luke. Now, Jesus, uh, you know, has his 12 disciples, but what we might not realize is that it wasn't just Jesus hanging out with these 12 constantly. There was also another band of disciples that kind of came along beside this whole teaching of Jesus. And he would preach to the masses, but then he would kind of walk away. Well, the 12 disciples, obviously, we see them talking about this all the time in smaller groups. And he's talking to these disciples. But then there was this other group of people, too, that were kind of on the outskirts that were in the, in the middle of this game as well. In Luke chapter 10, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now that sounds at first like a Monday night visitation, like you'd show up at the church and we just send you out and go door knocking. But before we look into that, I think that's one of the things that we look at and only about 5% of a church would even do that. I want you to pull out of this principles because later on, it's not just these 72 that he's sending out on a specific assignment, but then we see in the Great Commission that he's actually sending out all of us. And then in Acts 1-8, we see that we are his witnesses. And then everywhere that you see these guys preaching, they're, they're preaching about ushering in this kingdom and the part that we play in the midst of doing all of that. And so these 72, as they're sent out, it says in verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the first thing I want you to understand is that sharing your faith with someone else or getting in the game of making other disciples starts with prayer. Now, this particular prayer here, uh, this particular prayer here is that, that he would ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, you might be saying, I can't do that. How can I do that? I can't pray for that. Yes, you can. I mean, how easy is that? You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, uh, I Googled this up, actually, right before I came up here, the prayers of Jesus. And, and whenever I look into the prayers of Jesus, this is what it sounded like. Dear Father, I just want to lift up John to you. He's got a bum toe, and he was walking the other day, and... I just pray that you heal it. And old Thaddeus, we hardly ever hear about Thaddeus, I know. And it's because, Father, if you'll just heal him of his, uh, his, his, his tongue problem that he's got, then, then I'd I just appreciate if you'd do that. And then, Father, if you'd lift up James to you, James is having, well, he's having back problems again. So we just pray that he can get healed on the back problems. And, Father, well, well if you'll just, if old Pete, now he's just a heartache and headache sometimes, Father, and I know that. And, Father, would you, would you just, but, it, but it's because he's, he's not eating right. So if you just, Father, if you just pray for it. You, know, you never really see that in the Scripture, by the way. But every time you hear a prayer request, and even in your Sunday school classes, it's, it's an organ recital. We're praying for people to stay out of heaven than we are to try to get them there, right? It's always a prayer of healing their physical infirmities. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, in just a second, you'll see that, that one of the big things is that Jesus did lead out in healing. But here's the reality that rarely do we see Jesus really talking about healing, healing physical stuff. In fact, in all these scriptures, I'm, I'm looking, just scrolling through them. In Matthew, 
eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Matthew fourteen twenty three. Uh, when evening comes, he, he's there all alone. He begins to pray. Uh, he looks at Peter in Luke 22 and he says, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He, he prays consistently through the scripture. In fact, one of the biggest prayers he prays is that you guys and also the disciples would be one in unity. You see, all these prayers that he's lifting up are actually more about ushering in the kingdom and, and bringing these people together towards this common vision than it is just about healing physical stuff. So I say that as a challenge to you, that you might start praying for those who are lost and praying for those who might go to that person. Now, here's why it's really hard to pray. God, would you send somebody to John in my neighborhood? He's far from God. Would you send somebody to him to talk to him about Jesus? And here's why that prayer is so hard. Because we might be the answer to that prayer. You know what I mean? Like, like we all, God, if you'll just, if you'll just get Pastor Rocky to go and talk to, to Sam, you know, he's in my workplace and he's my boss. And man, if I could just get somehow, if I could get Rocky and him paired up together in some kind of fashion, whether he comes to the church or maybe we bump into one another at Walmart, then maybe he can hear about the gospel. No, when you begin to pray for laborers to people that you know, well, chances are you'll be the answer to that prayer. So let's just, let's just think about it right now. Maybe there's three people right now that's far from God that you've never talked to about Jesus. You might have invited them to Northside, but here's a flash bulletin. The lost are not looking for a church. I'll say it again. The lost in this community, those who are far from God, are not looking for a church. Church people look for church. They're the ones that shop around because there's so many different flavors around this community. They're looking for a church. The people who are far from God... Are not look, they're not waiting on you to get better greeters out of the front. They're not waiting on you to get better music. You guys have awesome music. They're not waiting for you to get a better preacher. Because to be honest with you, Rocky's one of the best preachers we got. In this whole convention, we got 2,000 Baptist churches in this convention. You might not know this. You're in the top five of 2,000 churches of people that are being baptized in this state. Did you know that? Hey, listen to this. Your student ministry, listen, your student ministry is in the top two of youth being baptized in this state. Baptized 47 last year. I think it's up around 54 this year. Listen, that's amazing, man. That's awesome. That's unbelievable. But here you need to hear this. Listen, there are three out of every four people in this whole community that, that are far from God. Three out of every four. That stat should be overwhelming because there's so many people far from God in this community that even baptizing at that rate, even baptizing that many people, you're still scratching the surface of those who are far from God. And, and so start to think about it. Like who is in this community? Who is it this far from God that I can begin to pray that labors will be sent to them? You see, the prayer was not... Father, would you send laborers so that they can bring them back here to the temple so that, that we can, they can hear about God? That's not what he said. He said, pray that laborers will go to them. 
That's where you come into play. Listen, there's, I don't know exactly how many people you guys have engaged here in this, in this community. I know it's over a thousand. What if a thousand people actually got into the game, into this story, started praying for three people. That's 3,000 people. And they started praying specifically for those 3,000 people and then went to them and started to talk to them about the things of God. 3,000 people would be engaged at that point. Now, some of the stats that we've seen is it looks like that around, sometimes it's a three to one ratio. People that are engaged with the gospel that come to know Jesus. In some parts of the, of the state, it's like a 10 to one ratio. For every 10 people engaged, one person gets baptized. But, but, but in some, it's three, every three people are engaged, one person gets baptized. That'd be a thousand baptisms from this church. Now, you talk about Amazing. I mean, you guys have, you know, between 100, 200 baptisms every year. That'll start, that'll start going crazy. I mean, it'll start. Listen, change your evangelism and tell, sharing your faith from inviting people to Northside to inviting them into relationship with Jesus. Now, that, I'm telling you, it's going to get hard. And you're thinking, I can't do that. Well, let's just start with a prayer, okay? So write down three people right now. You've got it on your card there. Write down three people that's far from God that you could start praying for right now. Just take a moment. I'll give you 10 seconds. you got your little bulletin there. Take out a pen. Write down three people far from God that live around you. They might work with you. They might play golf with you. They might, they might go fishing with you and all that. Just write down three people. Write down their initials, their name. Just take the time. Just go ahead and do it. Three people. You may say, I don't, I don't even know if I know three people. Well, maybe you're hanging around with church folks too much. Like your hobbies and the things that you do and your supper clubs and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you need to kind of break out of that bubble a little bit. Maybe you just need to meet your neighbor. You, you know, it's, it's kind of wild. Um, I got a friend who works for the Homeland Security. He said that, uh, that there's nine steps they go through to try to find out things about people. They look at social media. They talk to their employer. They talk. He said the one, the one group that gives us the least amount of information about people when we're trying to do background checks is their next door neighbor. That's the world we live in. So who are those three people that you could begin to pray for? All right, so if we move in from praying that God would send labors into the harvest, and it might be you, it starts with that. Then the second thing he says here is go in verse 3. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Go, I mean, that's when you start to look at like what it looks like. To, you got to start moving in this story. Like this Christian walk is not about you sitting here in a comfortable chair, waiting on Rocky to finish his message. You know, so you can go hit up one of the restaurants around here and beat the Methodist and Presbyterian crowd because they didn't know you could go to church at nine o'clock in the morning and you're going to beat them. You, you see, this, 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 this story actually happens when you actually leave this place from Monday to Saturday and you're in it. You're in the middle of it, but you've got to go. You've got to get up and go. You've got to be intentional. Everywhere in scripture, you see Jesus is being intentional with those people that he talks to. Sure, he probably hung out and had a good time. But every time you see in Scripture when it's writing out about what he's talking to the disciples about, every time he's being intentional. I had a young man one time when I was a student pastor, and I was talking to him about his, his faith and as he moves on to college. And, and he actually asked me one day, he said, man, can we just not have a normal conversation? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, every time we get together, man, you're like, it seems like after we talk, man, you're, you're challenging me and you're, you're talking to me about my future and everything else. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, do you have a lot of people that have normal conversations with you? 
He said, yes. I said, do you have anybody that's being intentional and challenging you? He said, only you. I said, well, what if I stop? That's why I'm doing it, bro. You got a lot of conversations you can have with other people about just meaningless things like the weather. But I'm being intentional with you. I want you to be more like Jesus. And so that's why I talk to you about all this stuff. Who is it that you're being intentional to, to go to? You see, when you start praying for people, when you start praying for them, all of a sudden now God starts putting them on your heart. And I'm going to tell you, if you start praying for your neighbor, you'll be amazed at how much you see him. You start praying, God, would you send somebody to him to talk to him about Christ? All of a sudden, he's always out in the yard now. You never saw him before. He'd go in, the garage door would shut. The problem is that we ju- you just hadn't noticed him. And so in the midst of starting to pray for people, all of a sudden now you're being intentional with them, which leads us into the next thing. If you'll, if you'll skip down here to verse, verse 8. He says, when you enter a town and are welcomed... Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there. I want to camp out here for just a second because I think in in all of our training for sharing your faith, we've like skipped one of the most important things. And that is that your heart would break for people. That you would actually care for them. So the first, first action step when you're going and being intentional is to pray. And to have prayer about sending labors to them and, and praying for the lost. But then the next thing is to care. So prayer and then care. You see, in the midst of this, Jesus, when he tells them to lead out, he first tells them to heal the sick. He he tells them these people have needs and many of them are physical needs. I want you to care for them. I, I want your heart to break for them. You see, when you start praying about your neighbor and you start to see him out in the yard, it may be that you start to see that there's some things that he might need. And so you actually start to care about him. Not in a way that that you would be manipulative to try to get them to come to this church, but just because you love them, that your heart breaks for them. And many times the needs that people have are are, are not physically related. Many times the needs that people have is maybe they just need somebody to encourage them. Maybe they just need somebody to to let them know that maybe there's something more to life than just what they're living. Maybe the needs that people have are, are marriage-related. Maybe the needs that people have are, are to stand in the midst of crisis as they face death. What you're doing in the midst of caring is that, is that you're constantly looking for what their needs are, and then you're meeting those needs. You see, that's the whole aspect of living this Christian life and being more like Christ is that you think more about other people than you do about yourself. It may mean that you have to slow down a little bit. It, it may mean that you, you might not go in and, and, uh, and take care of that one little project that you've got that you've been working on, but you might stop and talk to somebody about what's going on. It may be that you bring people into your life and whatever's happening, but that you actually start caring about people. And here's the thing that I know. I know that many times the reason we don't care about people is because we don't see them. Saintly lady in my church in Barnwell, she said, Lee, you keep talking about this brokenness and these lost kids and these lost people and these people in poverty. And she said, I just don't see it. I don't know who you're talking about. And for the first time I realized She took the same route from her house to church 
All of her friend groups were related to the church. All of her supper clubs were people and women in the church. All the work that she did was 15 hours at the church. And all of a sudden, I started to realize she doesn't even see the people. It's not that she doesn't want to. She doesn't, she doesn't even know they exist. She wasn't in the neighborhoods that I was in. She wasn't in the, the trailer park areas where kids were running around and had no dads and no father figures. She, she wasn't in the areas where, where I saw great brokenness because she had no reason to go there. Part of being intentional is that you might have to like, take a different trip to work. So that you can start to see the neighborhoods around you. Maybe it's you start to ride in some areas that you wouldn't normally go into. And that you might have told your kids to stay out of. So that you can actually start to see and to feel what's going on. One pastor actually gets in a police car and drives around with a policeman about once a month. And I said, why do you do that? He said, because I need to feel this brokenness. I need to see it. I need to be in the middle of it. I had one neighbor tell me, he said, you know, there's a, there's a big old church down the road. And he said, and I know some people that go there. And this, this, uh, this individual doesn't go to church regularly. And he said, he said, you know, every time I see them, they're trying to get me to go to their church. They're telling me about how awesome it is. They're telling me about the music. And they're telling me about the preacher. And he said, you know, I, I, uh, it's kind of getting a little aggravated, actually. Every time I see them, they're inviting me to go. And I said, well, what do you think about it? He said, well, I, th- I think this, he said, I, I think that they're more concerned about me going to their church than they are about me. Man, that was a profound statement. They care more about me going to their church than they do about me. What would it look like if you began to care for the needs that are around you? Here's what I know. When you care for the needs around you, you earn the right to be heard. When you care for an individual, it serves as a foundation for you to be able to share this great epic story that you're a part of. And I guarantee you, when these guys went into this town and and they started to heal the sick, the people that they healed stopped and listened. But it can't just stop with caring. A lot of times we use ministry within a church to do good things. Sometimes we go on mission trips to do good things. And if it just stops at caring and never tells the why, what you've done is you've, you've actually given them a fake sense of what love is all about. Because how much do you have to hate a person to know that they're on a train wreck about to go into the side of a cliff And that their sin is killing them. And you don't tell them about the gospel. That's not real love. In fact, you've got to really hate somebody to hold back the cure for their real disease. And so when we've got this, this prayer and then care, we need to understand that ultimately we need to share. Now this share is found here in verse, um, verse 9, the second part of that. Tell them... The kingdom of God is near you. Tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Tell them that there's this new chief in town and he's ushering in a kingdom where he's in charge and he's changing lives and he's transforming lives. And the kingdom is near now and you can be a part of the kingdom. 
You can be a part of ushering in this, this new life. You can usher in and be a part of this whole new world where God is restoring and changing and, and making it to be more like it was in the very beginning. Share. You know, you might say, man, I, I can do that. I can pray for people. You know what? I can do that. I can care for people. In fact, I help people in my neighborhood all the time. I can, I can do that. I can, I can look for needs and I can care for them. I can do that. I can, no, wait, I can't share. Now, wait a second. That's as far as I go, right? And 97% of the church has never led somebody to Jesus. Nearly 60% of the church has never actually talked to somebody about their story or their testimony. These are church people. These are you. And you say, well, wait, I can't, you get to the share part and I, I'm not, I'm not qualified. I, I don't, I might mess up. I might say the wrong thing. What, what if they think I'm judging them? What, what if they think that I, that, 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 that it's going to change our relationship and now I'm a holy roller. And now every time we get together, it's just weird. You know, I just, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can actually do the, the sharing part, but let me just stop at the caring part. Then I'll try somehow, some way I can get them to the church and I can get Rocky to tell them about the sharing part. Don't make me do that. Listen, it's just an ongoing gospel conversation. That's all it is. Sharing the gospel is just an ongoing conversation about what Jesus is doing in your life that eventually will lead to a gospel presentation if they don't understand what this whole epic story is about. Now, they will tell us that, that those who are trained, they're four times more likely to actually share their faith. Well, let's just spend a, t- a time just right now. I just want to train you. I just want to give you a tool that might help you as you share your faith. You can write it on a napkin. You can download it on your app, on your phone. In fact, if you want to right now, I won't tell anybody teenagers, if you want to show your mom how to do this and your dad, just go to the app store and download Life on Mission. Because what I'm about to show you and tell you is right out of this app called Life on Mission. If you can remember three circles, you can pretty much remember three circles, three words. You can pretty much remember this. But the cool thing is you don't have to remember this. When you're done, you can actually get on the Internet and you can download this app. If you want to pull it up, you can pull it up right now. And then you just swipe the screen and everything I'm about to show you comes up on the screen. First of all, you need to understand that God designed this world from the very beginning free from sin. You can remember that God created the heavens and the earth. You can remember that God created the world. And what he originally created was perfect. In fact, he was walking alongside Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect relationship. There was no, no tears. There was no death. It was great. It was unbelievable. You could eat whatever you wanted to eat, not get fat. You could do whatever you wanted to do as long as you didn't eat the, the tree, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was just one thing, actually, that God gave Adam and Eve not to do. And and the reason he gave them one thing not to do is because they weren't robots. He wanted them to actually show that they loved. And part of that is having that will to be able to do that. Well, so there was this one tree and Eve took of the fruit first. And then Adam took of it after they were tempted by Satan and his very self. And all of a sudden sin entered the world. And so when sin entered the world, we moved away from his original design. In fact, there was judgment that came along with sin. And God told them, if you, I told you, if you ate of the tree that, that you would actually, you would actually die. 
And so when sin entered the world, then go ahead and leave that, leave that graphic there. When sin enters the world, um, it leads to brokenness. Now, ultimately, this brokenness, this brokenness leads to death. And I usually just ask people, I'll say, uh, you, have you ever seen brokenness around you? And, and everybody can say yes. In fact, I'll, I'll say, give me just an example. They'll give me an example of brokenness they see all around them. And here's what we find in brokenness. Man always tries to find a way out of brokenness. Those squiggly lines there, he tries to, to, to make more money. If I can just make more money, then, then it won't be so hard at the house. If I can uh, maybe get, um, get my act in order, then, then, then maybe things will be better. Or, you know, sometimes we find our way out of brokenness through relationships. If I can either just find a new husband or a new wife, everything will be great. Or if I can just find me a girlfriend or boyfriend, then people won't pick on me at school and I can be loved. There's all these different ways out of brokenness. Ultimately, moving into things like drugs and alcohol. Why? Because they want to try to cover up the brokenness. They want to try to forget it. They want to try to get away from it. This brokenness, man always tries to find a way out. This world ultimately is broken as we see every single person that we love eventually dies. And, and every pe- uh, people around us, you know, 120 years ago are gone. Ultimately, death is the end of this brokenness. But the good news is that we do see some glimmers of hope around us. The good news is we do see some, there's something good out there. We see glimmers of it all the time. Well, well, what God is in the business of doing, the good news is that he's restoring and bringing this world back to what he originally designed. The gospel or the good news is this, that even in the midst of brokenness, Jesus died for us. Jesus paid the penalty of sin and brokenness on his, on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. He defeated death through his resurrection. And the good news is that even though there's this brokenness, God has come and said, I will restore this brokenness. I will come myself. We call his name, Jesus. He died, buried and resurrected the gospel. So what's our response to the gospel? In other words, if there's no way out, if we're trying to find a way out on all these other things, what's our response to the gospel? Our response to the gospel is to repent and believe. Repent means turning away from your sin and turning towards God. And believe means to push your faith and your trust, all that you've got on Jesus, that he would have control of your life. And ultimately, when we do that and we rest in the gospel, He brings us back individually, back to his original design. In fact, he recovers us as slaves and brings us into this epic story that he's writing from the very beginning of time so that we can be a part of that. He recovers us. And then also when when he recovers us, if we'll just pursue God and try to be like him, then he actually puts us in the story. He puts us in the game. And the neat thing is that he actually launches us back into to brokenness, into this broken world, to pull the slaves out of the broken world and to let them know about this Jesus that died for their sin. And so what I'll do is if I'm writing this down on a napkin or if I've got it on an on a, on a app, I'll, I'll put one question in the middle and I'll ask, what about you? Like, where are you at? 
And so then I'll just say, are you still dead in your sin? I might even put a little stick figure and say, are you broken? Like right now, are you, is your life a mess? Are you broken on the inside and everything on the outside looks great? Are you resting in the gospel, meaning that you've confessed Jesus as your Lord? You've turned away from your sin and you've believed on Jesus, but you're not really in the game. In other words, you've just done that and you kind of go to church and you're a pretty good person, but that's about as far as you've gone. Or are you actually in the game? Are you like, are you being launched into brokenness? Like, are you, you talking to people about Jesus? Are you letting people know about where you are? And then I'll just say, where are you at? Like which, which one of these describes you better? Because every one of them has a response. The, the guy in the brokenness, the response is to confess Jesus as Lord. Maybe you could pray with them right there and say, hey, if you would just confess Jesus as your Lord and turn away from your sin, Jesus would save you. Your next move would be baptism. If you're down here in the bottom, you might say, hey, you've, you've been baptized. You've confessed Christ as your Lord. And maybe now, maybe, maybe you and I can just talk once a week about what God's doing in your life and help them know how to be launched back into this brokenness. Maybe teach them how to pray, teach them how to read the scripture, and then teach them how to share their own faith through gospel conversations with other people. Or maybe you are up here and your response is that you are being launched in the brokenness. And my question is, what else is God wanting you to do? Because he never wants you just to be comfortable. So what is he kind of pressing you on now? Like, what does he want you to do right now that you're, that you're not doing? So my question is the same to you on that. Where are you in this process? Because if you came in here today and you're still broken in your sin and you still have not confessed Christ as your Lord, then today you might have an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and to follow that up with baptism. If you're down here in the bottom and you're in that 97% or 60% that's never shared their faith and never led somebody to Jesus, maybe today you get in the game. That you, that you pray for three people and then next you, you write down two people that you're going to care for intentionally. But then there's going to be that one person that you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to actually talk to him about Jesus. I'm going to start moving down through this process of praying for them, caring for them, and then sharing with them. And, and I'm going to take this dare of being a disciple. And so just in closing up, there's this, um, there's this group called F3. Do we have any F3 guys in here right now? F3 guys? So F3, F3 is a, a workout group, a men's workout group. We meet over at, at River Bluff High School, and there's a lot of other places that we meet around this place. And... and um, and, and is, I'm ne- I don't know if you know this, but I work out fairly re- regularly. Um, and so you can tell I'm not an expert in this, right? So, so I start hanging out with these guys. I never really sustained exercise, but I start hanging out with these guys. And it's actually kind of fun. They give you a nickname when you first got there. I told them I worked with a bunch of Baptists. And so they called me world changer. No, they didn't call me that. Uh, they, they, they actually called me potluck. And uh, I said, well, I'm glad that that's what Baptists are remembered for. So, so in the midst of doing all these exercises and everything else, they, they start, you know, they, they, they start challenging us to actually lead the exercises. Now, I can't, how am I going to lead the exercise? I'm the last person there every day. I'm the last, like they start running or something, I bring up the rear. I tell them if they, anybody falls out, I'll know about it. So that's what my job is, right? How can I, I can't do that. So this one guy tells me, he says, yes, you can do it, do it. I said, no, I'm not doing that. 
A month goes by, he comes back to me again. Hey, man, I want you to lead the queue. I mean, I can't do that. Then my brother Luke, he gets into the game. He's here today. He's principal over at River Bluff High School. He says, listen, I'll do it with you. Now, that's my little brother. So I was like, All right, I can handle this now. You ain't got to do this with me. You ain't got to hold my hand on this. I can do this. But I wouldn't tell the guy that until finally about six months to a year after I've been doing this workout, finally this guy comes up to me and says, you're doing it next Saturday or next Thursday. I said, doing what? He said, you're leading the exercise. I already told everybody I put it down on the list. So I was like, oh, no. Are you serious? So now I got with my brother. We kind of worked out something we were going to do as far as like working it out. And when I got out there, uh, the first set of exercises, I could hardly breathe to count it out. Like I was going, all right, let's exercise, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to count it out and I can hardly breathe, right? Well, the second or third exercise, I started to realize I can probably, I can probably do this. I can, I, can, I, can, I can handle this. And then by the end of the exercise, I was actually beating some of the guys that used to pick at me about being the last one, right? Now, here's the reason I tell you all that is because this, you can do this. Like you might think, man, I, there's no way I can do it. Yes, you can. You can do this. You can pray for people, you can care for them, and you can share with them. You can do it. You, you've been coming to church for 20 or 30 years and you've never done it. You can do this. You can get in the game. God's got this whole world in front of you, and, and, and you don't even see it yet. You're in the midst of this great story. You can do this. you just got to get up and you've got to go. And you've got to ask God, God, would you give me the words to say? Because I'm not sure if I know the words to say. And the first time you talk to somebody about Jesus will be one of the hardest things you've ever done. But guess what? It, it, it gets easier after that to have gospel conversations after you move and get into the midst of doing that. You can do this. Y'all can get up and go. And get, listen, when you write down those people's names, you start to pray for them. And when you write down those people's names, you say, I'm going to start caring for them. You'll be amazed at how easy the conversation starts. And it's not just one conversation, it's multiple ones over the course of this next year. Wow, you know this in this community alone, if the Baptist people that are in these churches, if they just took one person a year, just one person a year far from God, and shared with them in ongoing gospel conversations, we would be done with the whole county of Lexington within about five years. We just got to get in the game. And get in the story. Let's bow your heads where you are. If you're someone in here today that um, wrote down three people that you can be praying for, would you raise your hand? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just raise your hand. Father, would you, would you help them... begin to care and to share with those individuals? Would you give them opportunity to begin to pray specifically for them? And Father, that within this next week, there will be a need that they can meet. There will be a conversation that they can start. And Father, would you just move them into doing that? If you're someone in here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed that has one person that you know of that that you would be willing to start com conversation about, about the gospel. And you might have written their name down. They might have been in that list of three. Would you raise your hand where you are? Can we see where you are? Okay. So, Father, I pray that they might this next week share their faith. They might start that gospel conversation. 
And then finally, if you're one of those people who on that graphic, you're broken in your sin and you know you need to confess Jesus as Lord and follow him in obedience and baptism, if that's you, would you raise your hand where you are? Okay. I see at least one. So, Father, the individual who raised his hand, who says, I'm still broken in my sin. Would you just listen to his heart right now? And, Father, right there in his spirit, I just pray that he, he tells you, first of all, that he's sorry that he's done bad things. That he confesses you as his Lord. That means you're his boss, the one in control. And that right now he might say, I believe in you, Jesus. And I want to get in this game, this epic story. Father, for those who may have raised their hand for that, you know that you want them to move. You know that you want them to go and be intentional. And Father, maybe that next step for them is baptism. I pray that today they might be able to take out the card that's there among them and might even mark on that card, I'm interested in being baptized. I prayed and confessed Christ as Lord. And that today they might put it in the offering plate as it goes around. What a defining moment it might be where they say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to be a part of this epic story. I want to follow him in obedience and baptism. And they might do this even today and signify that by filling out that card that's there in their in their handout, and they might place that in the offering plate, knowing that someone will follow up with them, talk to them about Jesus. Fathers, we continue to worship today. I, f- I pray that we might have you on our mind and the lost on our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.